everyone, and welcome to the final episode of What the Dog Saw, a podcast dedicated solely to American crime story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. I'm Lorena Mora, and here with me is my co-host, Neil McNeil. And this is it! R.I.P. this show! R.I.P. Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman, and also this show, because this is it. This is episode 10, The Verdict. It's so strange to me now to like think back to where we were, like, like me a year ago knowing about the show and then us like 10 weeks ago what we were like thinking would happen and what has happened and I just feel like that's a recurring theme of this episode is the knowing that we the audience have Mm -hmm. is so powerful it was it was a really telling episode to wrap up this entire series because it did a really good job of not trying to surprise us with the verdict, but instead um, showing us the fallout of all of this. Because, again, as we've been saying, we as viewers have known the outcome of this case the entire time. So it was just that dramatic tension building up to this moment. And now that we're seeing it, we're seeing the repercussions of what has happened here and ultimately how we got there. Oh, yeah. I Like, there was definitely a moment during this episode where it was there was a Marsha moment happening. And I just thought to myself... I know how things end up for you, and you don't, but now I, as an audience member, do. And it was, like, a very interesting relationship. Probably something we would talk about in a film class. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, like, a weird, almost voyeuristic way to watch the show. Oh, this entire series is voyeuristic. Like, this entire series is very macabre, very, very uh, voyeuristic. Um, it just plays up the idea of looking into these people's lives, even though this was being given to us on a grand scale with how media was portraying the case at the time, we're really getting like into the nitty gritty of all of these people's lives and just seeing how this case not only affected OJ, but those around him. Yeah, do you want to start us off with how this episode starts? Yeah, so this episode starts off with um, a, a, a sequence of OJ walking through da- or his jail cell, which will presumably be one of the last times he's in jail. And I couldn't help but thinking this entire time during the sequence, I wanted to see more of OJ in jail. Like, I know that he had his own bunk, he had his own section, like, we see that later in the episode that he's just, like, by himself, but, like, the scenes that we get of OJ in jail in this episode, I wish we had had more of that, like, alone time in there. And obviously, we're not going to have a very authentic portrayal of what happened in there because we don't know exactly what was going on in the jail cell, but... I wanted more. Like, I wanted more Cuba. I feel like this show lacked Cuba as a whole. So I agree with you about wondering what OJ was like in jail, because for some reason in my head, I just thought like, oh, he's just in regular jail. And there's probably a bunch of people who are like, oh, my God, OJ's in jail with us. Not the case. He's Mm -hmm. in LA County Jail, much like Stephen Avery was in Making a Murder. It's kind of like, like an old timey sheriff like four room cell yeah know? like i'm picturing in my mind like orange is the new black like he's like making friends with like a cast of characters around him when like really that's not the case they're filming the pilot of frogmen <laughs> <laughs> oh frogmen whatever happened to that show do they have footage from it no and you know i have resisted so much throughout this entire series to look up actual footage Mm -hmm. that i liked its appearance here in this episode oh yeah oh absolutely and after the scene in the jail uh we get cochran um in court after oj goes through this 
awful, awful mock um, trial where he's going to be presenting his case uh, to the jury. And Cochran ultimately decides that OJ's not going to testify, which is probably for the best because that would have definitely buried them, but decides that OJ is going to make a statement to the court, not to the jury, but to the court. How did you feel about this? You know, I felt like he was milking the sympathy vote by trying to remind everybody about, like, how much he loved Nicole, how great of a person he is. And it was a weird emotional moment for me because I knew how manipulative he was being in the moment. But at the same time, I was just like, again, the knowing. I was like, things are going to be so bad for you from here on out. And I just feel so sorry for you. Wait, you're feeling sorry for OJ? I will get to why I feel sorry for OJ later in this That episode. is not something I thought you would ever say throughout the entire course of this show. It's happening. It's all well, happening. Because Marsha then steps in and says, this is not, like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we giving them the chance to speak his mind but then not be cross-examined? Which I completely agree with you, girl. Like, if he's going to be presenting any sort of case or any sort of sympathy vote to the court, you should have at least allowed Marsha's team to cross-examine him and try to get the truth out if this wasn't what was actually going on. Like, he never gave, he never, he never um, tried to present any sort of alternative theories. He never tried to present himself as innocent. He was just talking about how much he missed his kids and how much he loved Nicole. It just, it felt so disingenuine to me. But, like, coming from a place that, like, you can tell that people who were watching in the court were like, oh, shit, like, this man has gone through something. Yes. It was a really, it was a really um, gross moment for me. And, like, especially when um, they wrap things up and OJ goes to sit down and Marsha has, like, the last word up in there where she's like, oh, if you want to, if you want to say something, then get up there and let me cross-examine you or something along those lines. She did. She kind of just, like, snapped at him. And I just remember that moment. I was just like, please give Sarah Paulson every Emmy in the book. I want to see her go up against herself for an Emmy. Because I'm not going to say that her role in American Horror Story was, like, the best she's ever done. But it was a good, interesting role. But I would love it if she was nominated twice for two different limited series or whatever they consider it in the fucking Emmys. I would love to see her, like, duke it out with herself. So following OJ's statement to the court, we see uh, the Dream Team going over which of the jurors are going to plead or decide that he's innocent and which jurors are going to decide that he's guilty. And it ultimately comes down to this demon lady is probably the only one who's going to sit in there and persecute him for being guilty. Like, and they know this. Like, Bailey is so against this demon juror whose name I don't even think we know. Like, I, I only know her as the demon at this point. I just feel bad for her. Like, you can tell, like, she does not want to be there. And she probably has one of the most level heads about all of this because she... She's looking at everything. She's looking at all the evidence, as we see later on in the episode. She's looking at all the alternative theories that are being presented, and she knows that there's some reasonable doubt as to his innocence. I feel like this case was just so much larger than itself that she just didn't stand a chance, really. Like, I think a lot of people pretty much had their minds made up. This case, at the end of the day, this case, when it when it was resolved, became about something way more than the murder of Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman, which we see later on. And we'll, we'll get we'll to that. We'll get to that. But it just, watching the jurors deliberate reminds us all that they turned this case into an entire media circus 
And even when Judge Ito is, like, thanking the jurors for all of their time in this episode and, like, apologizing, he's he is telling them how sorry he is that this has gone on for so long because he knows, he knows that this isn't what they signed up for, even though it is their civil duty as an American citizen to sit in on a jury like this. They were not prepared. They were not prepared for a case of this magnitude to potentially start bringing down the LAPD for corruption. I kind of want to get back to my favorite team, the Dream Team. And I think that you and I both had expressed how we thought that the glove was going to be the biggest moment of the series, of the trial. And then the Furman was really going to be the bombshell. But I think this was it. This is the cherry on top is when we see... um, we see Johnny Cochran drafting the if the glove don't fit line. He's going through he's so many on. versions. He is. It's so like, it's almost like that cheesy like 90s montage of just like, I'm going to get like a little light bulb above my head and then the idea will come to me. Oh, you saw that light bulb in full effect in this moment. He's literally just sitting in bed, like drafting up different ways to like bring the glove up in his closing statements. And he does it. He gets. He's such a storyteller, he and is... I think he just needed that line. That line is ultimately what I think caused any jurors who may have been on the fence between guilty and not guilty, I think that that line stuck with them. After after everything was said and done, and they were about to go deliberate, um, even if they had any sort of doubt that OJ might be innocent, they could just hear this line ringing in the back of their heads, because it's so catchy, and it's so annoying. I remember... What I think it was South Park parodied this way back in the day, like 10, 15 years ago, like pretty much like not fresh on the heels of this, like maybe like five or six years later. But it's one of my earliest memories of like a cartoon referencing the O.J. Simpson trial. When I mean, this is the pull quote of the entire trial. This is the entire trial in a nutshell. If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. I just it's so I hate saying this, but it's so iconic. A lot of things about this trial are <laughs> iconic. So we're getting back into court, and I'm really surprised still at this point that there are so many people rallying around OJ and believing in his innocence. There are people taking bets, we find out through a newscaster, as to what OJ's innocence is going to be. People are still convinced that this man is innocent. A this lot more after... than we realize. This is after all the DNA, this is after the the blood samples here and there, and, like, all the facts have been laid out for just about everybody who's willing to watch, which it seemed, and the episode made this very clear, that the world was standing completely still in these final moments of the trial. They had clips of Oprah, like, legit clips of the Oprah Winfrey show where people in the audience are watching the verdict live. You know what it reminded me of was um, the beginning of Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, like that, like, not just like the 90s sensibility, but just like the flashing of like... Mm-hmm. The news reports. Footage, news reports, like that kind of aesthetic where they're like laying down, like, this is the story we're about to tell. And they told it very, very well. It's... It's I ins- love that opening. I love this show for how it mixes um, modern media with the 90s style. And not only just the 90s style, but actually pulling clips from when this was going on and intercutting it with the actual series. Like, I love whenever they pull out and you're seeing um, you're seeing the court as if from a, 
from the perspective of people watching at home, where it even goes into the 4-3 aspect ratio, and it's really grainy, it's really just, like, shitty quality, and you're like, oh, crap, like, am I watching this in the 90s? Am I watching actual footage? Like, there are times when that happens, and I'll have to look at the actors and be like, am I watching archive footage or am I watching a recreation of archive footage? And most of the time it's a recreation, but it's just done so well. Speaking of that, I really, I feel like it's the moment for me to start looking up real clips Mm -hmm. because Marsha's final statement speech had so many like strong phrases in it. Like she talks about an ocean of evidence, a twisted path. Like She's recognizing that Furman has overshadowed this case, and this for me was like her just like hanging onto the cliff, like not only style. Is she recognizing that Furman is totally inconsequential to this case? She is throwing him under the bus. She's being like, "Is he a racist?" Yes. What was what was my favorite quote? Do we wish there was no such person existing on this planet? Absolutely. And I'm like, "Damn, Marsha." Back at it again with the cross-examination. Do you want to know what my favorite part of her speech was? What was that? This is from my notebook, underlined. Dat pyramid. Oh, it is like the food pyramid of evidence. Here are the receipts, and she goes step by step saying... How can I prove to you with sign language or some kind of flag vocabulary that he did it? I honestly think the only way that would have been more effective than a pyramid of the evidence sectioned off would have been a legit, like, recreation of Candyland where she walks you through the evidence and where it was as if she was playing a board game. Like, that would have been so visually stimulating for the jury. Maybe not the most appropriate, Maybe this is where the board game idea came from, with someone watching this going, hey, that pyramid, we should make it into a board game and make it like Trivial Pursuit. Because (laughs) I just loved, I love the thought of her going to like a Kinko's or something in the 90s going, hey, can you help us print this? It's all the evidence that's going to convict OJ. Dark times. Dark Um, times. I I also want to get to Darden's side of the story because... Darden has really emerged for me throughout this entire show. He's really developed the most. Mm-hmm. And I really like where he's at right now where he's he is telling the tale. Like you and I have both talked about like how is the show going to end? Are they going to show like what they actually think happened? Darden's doing that for us in his recreation. He's telling you about passion, he's telling you about betrayal, and I've said it in the first episode and I'll say it in the last one. This is a Shakespearean tragedy. This absolutely is a modern Shakespearean tragedy that is not only being played out on stage, but being played out on television live for everyone to watch. And I think that's what a lot of people don't get about, like, why are people, like, bringing up OJ now? Like, if you were there, you have your own perspective. But if you're looking at it from the outside in, Mm -hmm. you're seeing all the nuances of the story. That's very true, and I never... You never really think literary in terms of these sorts of trials. You really don't think that this is anything that, like, is going to be talked about for years to come. Like, do you think anyone back then would have thought... I mean, like, I'm sure they had the idea of, like, a Lifetime movie maybe being made about this. But, like, still, people are obsessing over this. It's the birth of reality TV. 
where can I look into other people's lives and know what they are doing and feeling and thinking? And this is how the world ends, is a recreation of this sort of spectacle. But no, Darden does such a good job of bringing up everything, bringing up all the evidence that Marcia didn't, not that she didn't bring it up, I guess she might have left it for Darden to bring up, but bringing up every single instance of domestic violence and just bringing it back on its head of saying, like, this is a man who is known for this. This is a man who has been arrested for this, who who has had the cops called on him numerous times because this has happened. How are you not thinking that that's any reasonable doubt of his innocence? Like, that should have been doubt number one. And then, of course, after Darden presents his closing statements, Cochrane goes up. And Cochrane, my notes say, is bringing the drama. He is trying to portray OJ as this reformed man. He's not denying that the domestic violence happened. He's not denying any of the substantial evidence that has been brought up. But he is saying things along the lines of, this is something that happened in 1986. This is not the case now. This, the case now is about the corruption in the LA Police Department, which we have a lot to say on that later on. But this case just got out of hand and Cochran is doing everything he can to distract from that. He's doing everything in his power to make people look the other way while OJ just runs away with this bloody knife that is still missing after all these years. Um, I actually read something pretty recently. It was about, I think it might have come from Darden's book, mm-hmm. where he talked about his later relationship with Cochran and how we're seeing it here. Cochran really thinks that he's trying to do something for the African-American community, but there's a great moment. I want to save it. But Darden says that this trial was more about redefining what it meant to be a black man. Oh, yeah. And we definitely get a sense of that. We definitely get a sense of that throughout this episode. I actually, um, Lorena asked me earlier this week to ask my mom what she thought about the case. My mom is a retired NYPD uh, cop who actually looks a lot like Marsha Clark with her curly hair. No, she does not. She d- it's the hairstyle. She had that hairstyle back then. If you saw pictures of my mom from back then, you would have been like, that could have been like Marsha's cousin. Um, but I asked my mom, I texted her saying, just do you think OJ did it? And she said, yes, and I still do. So so funny you should say that because before this, I was on the phone with my dad. When I talked to my dad, it's kind of like our own side podcast about like politics and history. <laughs> we, I, My dad definitely instilled some of this in me. Um, And so I asked him about the OJ trial, and he, what he said was that he was obsessed with it, that he would watch the TV all the time, and that he felt that Cochran and Shapiro did a really good job handling OJ, but that OJ got away with murder. Yep. Completely. That was just kind of the general feeling, was just like, wow, that was a great case, and wow, you got off with it. (laughs) It's... It's weird to think that our parents and that people from older generations still have thoughts on this. Like, I feel like people people in our age range are just rediscovering this all, but for people who are 10, 15 years older than us and beyond, they've lived with this. They lived through this. They could have been, they would have been podcasting this live as it was happening the first time around. 
if podcasting was a thing. So that's it. Everybody kind of has their final say in the matter. And the second everyone is out the door, I thought, oh my god, the jury still needs to discuss all of this. And I wasn't prepared for what happened next, but I found it interesting that Cochran was just like, well, see you guys. And the dream team just dissolved and Bob Shapiro was all alone. I My note for this scene is just, I felt so bad for Bob in this moment. And this is the yes! first time that I've ever actually sympathized for Bob Shapiro throughout this entire series. It just, I kind of, it's just, it just, you really get the sense that everyone is so against him. And when you think back to the first few episodes, when he's begging OJ to take a settlement, and it's just, ah, this case would have played out so differently if Bob never hired anyone else. Right? If this wasn't taken away from him, and, um... We shared a couple laughs about how Bob Shapiro now is one of the co-founders of Shoe Dazzle. <laughs> but what I didn't know about Bob Shapiro was that in the years following this trial, he distanced himself as much as he could. And he went on the record to say, like, I completely regret ever being in- involved. He's not the only one, which, again, that's coming a little bit later. But no, we get um we get Marsha and Darden talking about how Marsha's going to go away for a little while and to call her when something actually does happen. And everyone kind of gets a sense of like, this jury's going to be deliberating for a long ass time. And we, oh, see, yeah. we, we as an audience, even get that feeling when the next scene is um, a shot of the L.A. courthouse, which, by the way, I just absolutely hate the downtown courthouse i've had so many bad experiences dealing with parking tickets there and it just brought back so many bad memories and i'm like get out of there get them out of there so you <laughs> see the shot and it says superimposed over it day one of jury deliberations and you're like up oh, here we go here's the next 30 minutes of this episode four hours i could not believe four it. i was expecting like some montage a couple days to pass four hours, hours? Bob Shapiro nailed it when he said these people have talked about the O.J. Simpson case less than anybody in America. Because they weren't allowed to. That's the dividing point here is that we outsiders know everything and we have had the chance to talk to everybody we've known about it. And these people couldn't say a word. And in four hours they came up with that. Listen, the court system is already fucked in how it goes about picking a jury of your peers, and we've seen that throughout all this, but, like, this four hours, they literally get in the room, and they're like, let's do a straw poll, where everyone, just right off the bat, gives us their ideas of what the verdict should be. And they're like, oh, we should do it out loud, and it's like, no, like, let's do it in secret so nobody feels pressured. It's ten votes not guilty, two votes guilty. And, of course... What was that of weird course. shot of the the one girl sitting at the head of the table? We've never met her before, and, like, I thought she was going to play an important role in all this. And then she's just kind of like, what? I think he's guilty. And then we get a shot of the <laughs> demon trying to, like, trying her to defend. Her role was being the second white person <laughs> in the room. <laughs> and she did a good job of it. But the demon is really where it came down to, where everyone is kind of just coming at her, saying, like, there's no way you could ever change my mind to think that OJ did this. So I actually read an article, it was an interview um, where the author's godmother was one of the jurors. And what the juror had to say was that she thought, she was one of the not guilty verdicts, she was like, I don't think he's guilty because of the amount of blood. 
The she amount of said, blood. There is no way that a crime scene that bloody didn't get any blood on O.J. Simpson. Or that minimal amount. Okay. And I was like, I see your point, but you're wrong. <laughs> I see where you're but coming was, from, but no. But it was like, that's that's kind of like the only insight that we have. This one juror, unless other jurors have now spoken, which they probably have, as to why they might have thought that he was not guilty going into the deliberation and then convincing the two other people that you were right. I just, I don't understand. I don't understand. I've never had to be on a jury before. And I've never had to be, I've never even had to imagine being on a jury of this scale. I feel like if I thought somebody murdered someone and everyone else was like, no, he's, he's not guilty. I don't know if I would back down. Like, yes, that's the thing. It like puts pressure on you to back down to finally get out of there. So it's almost like that's. That's it, yeah. You're being held at gunpoint, being like, you either want to leave, or you want to just stay here and keep deliberating and possibly get a hung jury. It's like, nobody wants that. So, you either change your mind, or get everyone else to change their mind. So, four hours later, we have a not guilty verdict, and this part really pissed me off, was the guard who is getting OJ back from the jail cell, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and kind of just lets it slip to him. I don't think you need to be nervous. I don't... This just shows OJ's star power throughout all of this and how even after everything that he's been through and even after what is about to happen to him, people still see him as a celebrity. Maybe not the football star that he once was, but a celebrity nonetheless because he's even more famous now because of this murder trial. If anything, that football was not for the person's son, It was for the man, so he could sell it years later to be like, I have the O.J. Simpson football. I mean, it is now maybe worth a lot more because of circumstance, Mm -hmm. but, oh man. I just liked Judge Ito's reaction when they get the verdict, and he just says, you're shitting me. Straight. (laughs) I loved loved all of the um, camera push-ins whenever someone realized that there was a verdict, because there was like five in a row where it was like, we have a verdict. Camera, push right into their face. We have a verdict. Camera, push right into their face. It was just so dramatic and, like, so, like, bam, 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 bam. And you just know what all these people are about to go through. I know. That's, again, it's the knowing. I had such a sense of power just knowing, like, I know, too. I also, did you notice the um, OJ was here graffiti on the wall? Yes. (laughs) What was that? Like, what possessed him to do that? I wonder if that actually happened. TBT when I was in jail. (laughs) Hashtag later, Graham. So then finally, when everyone convenes in the courtroom, which is probably one of the most long and drawn out scenes in the history of television, and I have no doubt that reading a verdict out loud would be that much of a painstaking process, we see everyone preparing for this. Marsha and Darden are so hopeful. My poor, precious little babies are so excited. They're like, they they think they have it in the back. They're like, a verdict this quick has to be guilty. And they are just so ecstatic. And even though OJ was told by the guard not to worry, he's still nervous. Because, I mean, probably did it. Probably had a hand in it. And he knows. He knows that he could go away because there is a substantial amount of evidence against him. But no. We get the 
the Madam Four person handing over the verdict and then handing it to the judge and then the judge hands it to the stenographer. Is that who's reading it? I think that's who's reading it, uh, right? N- no, that's like a... I don't know what they do. I, I remember that person being in my courtroom when I was on a jury, but they were not the stenographer. Weird, because it made it seem like that There's... she was... They're kind of like the HBIC of the courtroom. They get, like, all the paperwork, and then they're just like, stand up for the judge. Sit oh, down. I want to be that. I want to be that in court. See, I want to be the sassy judge that, like, reads the verdict and has to poker face it and be like, <laughs> all right. When they're when they're finally going through this all and they're reading off the verdict, I loved the use of split, uh, split screens here. <clears throat> Wait, let me reset that because I fumbled. But when they are getting to it and they're finally reading off the verdict, I loved the use of split screens here to portray everyone's faces side by side as they are just waiting for this moment to be read. It is so classic Ryan Murphy of this scene. I feel like I I was having flashbacks to the day of the Glee um like phone party scenes Stop. that they would have. And I was like, no, but this is like a murder verdict. This is even better. You've now reminded me that Ryan Murphy created this show, but also Glee, and I hate it. <laughs> you are so in love with this show, and you're just going to have to deal with the fact that Ryan Murphy had a hand in it. Thank you, Ryan, but also I'm in denial. <laughs> but no, um, we, the- get, we get so much drama in this one courtroom scene, and I love it. It's just so pure and raw and just makes you, makes you so uncomfortable. It makes me so uncomfortable I wanted to run into the men's bathroom and barf. Like Rob did. Oh, Rob. Oh, my God. Again, another person, like, please maybe not give all the awards to, but, like, give some recognition. David Schwimmer is back. David Schwimmer deserves the world. (laughs) I'm going to watch his AMC show because I love him. I miss him. And... For me, I've said every episode almost that, like, oh, my God, Rob. Oh, my God, Rob. Oh, my God, Rob in the bathroom when he's looking at himself in the mirror. Rob in this episode. That he has to still be friends with OJ. Does he, though? Because he does not. We'll get to that. (laughs) What I loved was his moment with Marsha where they just looked at each other and it was this knowing glance. She fucking knew. She knew. She realized. She realized she could have had Rob on her side from the beginning if she had played her cards right, and she didn't. I don't think she could have, but I see where you're coming from. If they had gotten to Rob early enough, maybe. Maybe. I don't think he would have betrayed him so early on. I think this needed to be a rise and a fall where it was the ultimate test of friendship, and yeah. I mean, there was a definite fall here. So we see Rob breaking down. We see Marsha breaking down. We see Gil breaking down. And then ultimately, we see Darden break down at this press conference that's being held right after the verdict is read. And it's just... Ugh. This is where the case... Real tears. These are some real tears. This actually happened too. And I'm not upset. That's the clip I wanted to go look for immediately after the show ended. I was like, I need to see Darden feel. Darden feels everything. And you really feel for him and everyone else involved with this case, too. Because you see the Goldman standing right there. And you just, you want, you want justice for them. You want justice. You don't really get. So 
we met Nicole's family in this series. We met Ron's family in this series. It's weird to me how Ron's family is the one who kind of sticks around to the end, and you're really feeling for them as opposed to Nicole's family, because Ron is 100% just totally uninvolved with all of this, and he suffered such a great loss, and his family suffered such a great loss, and there's just no resolution for that. There's not, and it just what they're going to face right after is just so cool like for me it stood out when one of the reporters asked if um they were going to look for the real killer now Oof, i was like are you a fool the look. like you're so inappropriate right now so and inappropriate we have that moment with the goldmans when they're getting into their car defeated radios on and we get that announcement of um the expected riots have actually now turned into celebration Ugh. And we just get this line from the mother of, what are we going to do now? What are they going to do now? I know what they're going to do now. Tell us! So, the Goldmans went on to file a civil suit because OJ was technically supposed to pay them damages. But, like, OJ is, like, messed up money-wise now. Mm -hmm. Anyway... They reach a settlement. Years later, OJ has written his book, which I mention every single day of my life, if I did it. <laughs> he has his little run-ins with the law. I think he had, like, a DUI at one point. And then he had his Vegas kidnapping and robbery thing, which he is now in jail for. Mm -hmm. And in that trial, the Goldmans were able to get the rights to if i did it so now every time someone buys that book a donation is made to the ron goldman foundation but originally they were supposed to get 33 million dollars in damages and i believe by the time that this all happened oj had only paid them half a million on top of getting the rights to the book though they were able to relabel it so that it looks like the cover says i did it and they have <laughs> They have, like, a prologue and an epilogue where they pretty much write, like, hey, Goldman family here. He definitely did it, right? And it's just, it's a very interesting form of revenge. Which they totally deserve because we see the Dream Team celebrating this win. They are not even thinking about the Goldmans. They are just thinking about how they came out of the, ca the case of the century on top, and now Bill Clinton is voicing his concerns about the state of the LAPD on national television. Before you get to that, there was a really sweet moment for me, not a sweet moment, just a moment um, between Darden and Cochran, where Cochran offers to help Darden back into the community, mm, by yeah. which he says, you have undermined your masculinity and your blackness. And I just love Darden's retort, which was, this isn't some civil rights milestone here. You haven't changed anything for black people. And his words rang so true that for Cochran to walk into that room and, and start tearing up over Bill Clinton's speech, like, did he change anything for black people? No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And he's acting as if he has just changed the face of the world, when really all he did was get a murderer off. In the most backwards way possible. Like, I get it. It's good to start that kind of dialogue, and it's good to work towards a change. But he doesn't... He thinks that he's going to be able to change this just through one case. 
on the flip side, uh, the Dream Team is having a celebration, and Marsha and Darden are getting ready to throw in the towel here. We see Marsha packing up uh, her office. I don't know, is this, does she quit right after? She might have? I would imagine she at least took a very long vacation after this. I would hope that she did. But we see Darden um, breaking down to her saying how he wants to quit. And Marsha's saying, no, you have to stay here. You have to help people. And we get this really um, kind of monumental moment for Marsha where she tells Darden that at 17, she was raped in Italy. Yeah. Did not, did not realize. Did not think that that was coming. I like that it was not a defining characteristic that we just now learned this, that it wasn't put up in the front where you know it was kind of that olivia benson she's been raped that's why she's so tough kind of plot line for women Mm -hmm. i like that it was kind of just peppered in because she should not be defined by that and i disagree with her a little bit when she says that when you come here you have to have you need something to avenge yeah i didn't like how she said that justice is just vengeance for the victims she was really defining herself by that, and she was kind of saying, this is why I am the way I am, but I would hope not, you know? I would hope yeah. that she's just, like, a strong, awesome lady lawyer that I admire now. <laughs> Yay for Marsha! I do love her, and I do respect her, and I do have a very newfound um, appreciation for what she's been through after this moment. I, I could imagine that this is one of the things that... Sarah Polson and the real Marsha Clark talked about on their night when they just got hammered together. Because I'm sure that this came, this this moment came from a very deep place, place in Sarah Polson. Like, I could tell that she was serving some acting right here, and she was doing a bang-up job. I think my favorite way for their story to end was them walking out to that Nina Simone song. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack in this show is just Uh, so consistently good. Yes. Yes. (laughs) After this, though, we see them walking out of the office together into... This is, like, this is their moment of walking into the sunset. Because we don't see them after this. This is their last moment of the series. And after this, we see OJ leaving jail, a free man. And Rob was waiting for him afterwards. This is the test of friendship right here. Coming full circle, Rob is there waiting for him even though he has his doubts about OJ's innocence. And OJ hands him back the Bible that Rob gave to him when he first went into prison. And it just... It just says so much about Rob, about where he was at. Rob wanted to be a good person. Rob wanted to be a good man with Christian values who was standing by his friend in a hard time. And And you know... You just kind of have to give up at that point because I think he'd already admitted to Chris that, like, that's it. He's out of it. He's out of our lives. But I think he was maybe still unsure of it. And, yeah, he was just trying to be a good person. He was at that party and there was just that great, like, literal just, like, slamming down of the Bible Mm -hmm. saying, like, you need Jesus. I'm leaving. (laughs) Or, no, I didn't think, I didn't see that as Rob saying OJ needed Jesus. I saw it as Rob kind of denouncing his faith. Oh, no. I saw it as Rob declaring that even after all of this, even after my belief, even after all my beliefs and all my faith, I I was wrong. I don't think that Rob's faith would have been shook that hard 
from this happening. I think he, I, from my perspective, it was kind of a, you need Jesus. Like you need to atone for your sins because you know you what you did. Mm, I don't know. I, I might disagree with you here. I think it's, I think it's him kind of walking away from all that. Or at least Religion, walking away from the man he was. Like, everything's happening here. Taking a step back though, um, I wanted to go back. There's a moment that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way when OJ was leaving the, the jail with Rob. And I mean, granted, a lot of things in this case rub me the wrong way. But <laughs> when OJ cracks a joke about how he's not getting to know Bronco, I was just like, you should not be joking right now. Like, you have just been through the gauntlet, and any innocent man in this sort of scenario would still be a little bit shaken. I think he's done. He got away with murder, and that's on his conscience, and it won't hit him until much later in the episode. That's, but yeah, that's, right now, he got his way. He got his way, and he gets to be reunited with his family, save for Nicole's children. Obviously. I mean, I could understand wanting to keep them away for a little bit. Um, but especially considering the protests that were going on in Brentwood, I would want those kids nowhere near OJ for a while. I found it interesting, and I made a note of it, that it was predominantly white people mm -hmm. in the Brentwood neighborhood, which was another weird moment for me, because you and I have been down <laughs> that road, literally, mm -hmm. um, to have those protesters outside of his house, in his neighborhood... I think this was kind of like, you know, the entire time we've been talking about, like, I can't believe everybody was still rallying around him. Yeah, maybe everybody except his own community. And now no one's going to give him a Brentwood hello. Like, he is <laughs> barred from OJ, everyone. OJ is no longer part of the Homeowners Association of Brentwood. He's just sayonara, man. Uh, I also, we see we see him getting ready and we see him um, preparing himself for the next phase of his life. We got Cuba Gooding Jr. ass in this. Unexpected and Unexpected, unwarranted. It was very just out of nowhere. I get it. It's like him finally being vulnerable in this moment. because Him literally being re-baptized into the world. I was. I also saw this as... um. I, I This is going back to an episode of Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 for me. When um, they're describing... When are you most vulnerable? When you're naked. And where are you most naked? The bathroom. Because that is where you are the most vulnerable you could ever be. And that is OJ finally letting himself be vulnerable for once. And getting into the shower, washing away all of his sins, and coming out a relatively new man. There's that moment where he looks at his reflection in the mirror, and two things happen for me here. One was him kind of looking himself in the eyes kind of ruminating like hey we just got away with murder that's our life now mm -hmm. and what also happened to me was do you watch black mirror i don't you should you would actually really love it neil okay um it's like literally seven episodes on netflix everybody should watch the show spoilers for the christmas special with john ham um there's an episode of black mirror in which a man commits a crime i believe it just ends up being stalking but it's in it's in a alternate universe or the future where people can literally block each other physically okay so like let's say if, if i were looking at you and you wanted to block me instead of seeing you neil i would see just like a blurry 
outline, like that Facebook anonymous icon version of you. I need that in my life. And I, I would never be able to talk to you. I would never be able to hear what you're saying. Like you would just ignore me completely. And that's how I felt OJ was in this episode. Like OJ <laughs> has his life, but the life as he knew it, interacting with everybody is just gone. Like, and we get that in, in the fact that, um, People aren't showing up to his party. His son gets him a dog because he needs a friend. He needs a friend. Oh, that was sad. Um, when he goes out to the statue and he looks at who he once was and who he now is, it's just like, he's done. He's OJ, the maybe murderer. And I liked um, this really this really rings true to um, a recurring theme we've had in this podcast was people were asking like, oh, like, where's this person? Where's this person? Where's Kato? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody asking where Don't Kato Kalen was. Don't even get me started. I'm so upset with his underusage, and I get it, like Kato Kalen, unreliable witness, but like Ryan Murphy, I expected something from you. Pepper in the kitsch. For no, me. no. He wanted to play it true. He wanted to show that everyone abandoned him. OJ's walking around this party not knowing who most of these people are. He even goes up to a waiter at one point and says, how do we know each other? Did we play golf together? And the guy's like, uh, dude, I'm a waiter. And this party is being thrown by Star Magazine of all magazines. The One of the trashiest trash rags to exist on a newsstand, and they're taking exclusive pictures. So it's like, I even if I did believe that OJ was innocent, and I was his friend, I would not have wanted to go to that party. That does not sound like a fun party. I would not have gone to that party. That sounds like an awful party. That not only did Star Magazine sponsor the party, but that it wasn't as festive as the show portrays. Okay. And that the only person that hung out with OJ was the reporter. Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) (sighs) And the end of the episode, when OJ realizes that his life is no longer what he thought it was, he goes out and admires his own statue. Yeah. And that's it. That's how OJ's world ends. Looking at who he once was up there. Was it a bronze statue? It was a bronze statue, right? I think it's a bronze statue that is now owned by Flavor Flay, as we have found out now. <laughs> looking up at itself, looking up at himself, and wondering what's to come next. And we find out what's to come next. In this awesome, kind of like, um, it was very like a cheesy, um, how do I want to phrase this? It's like when you watch a show, like one of those like dramatic reenactment shows, and it like gives you like the text where it's like, after this was filmed, such and such went on to do this. It was like that, Mm -hmm. but well produced. And you really also got to see, you got to see a side by side of the actors who were portraying these people and the actual people who this case was based on. I know. You know, what stuck out to me was, we don't learn this on the show, but I read, you know, throughout the millions of think pieces and articles that are coming out about O.J. Simpson now, um, was that Johnny Cochran went on to host a show with Nancy Grace. What? Right? Had no idea. So, I mean, I it was interesting to me that everyone was kind of just like, so-and-so wrote a book, so-and-so distanced himself from the case. What hit me hard was O.J. Simpson being eligible for parole next year. In 2017. How timely. I also really liked how they called out that um, Chris Jenner, Kato Kalin, and who was the other person? Went on to become reality stars. 
Faye. Faye, 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 right. Oh, yeah. I always forget about her. Connie Britton, <laughs> wish you were in this more, too. You should watch Nashville, then. No, I'm not going to stoop that low. Excuse me. Nashville's, like, the only other show I watch on television. <laughs> that is a true fact. The Bachelor is on hiatus. <laughs> And now it's time for the gloves up, gloves down portion of our podcast where we give our highlights and our lowlights for the episode. You know what? Let's give for the episode and for the season as a whole. Okay. So, Lorena, what would you say your highlight was for this episode? I would say my gloves up moment, aside from being the entire episode, <laughs> was the tension building in the verdict scene. Mm-hmm. I think... That was a fun twist for me, because I think we've talked about knowing the verdict, knowing the verdict. I don't think either one of us knew that it only took the jury four hours to deliberate, so that was a fun little last-minute twist, and it stressed me out so much more for everybody. Um, I feel like... It just elicited an emotion from me. I like when TV does that. I feel like it took the court more time to read off the verdict than it did for us to watch the jury actually come to a decision. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I like that. It was it was a great, it was like a final last nod to be like, okay, we know that you guys known what is coming in this, but we're going to draw it out a little bit more. Neil, what was your gloves up moment for this episode? My gloves up moment would have to be how they portrayed the aftermath and how you did feel for the Goldmans. You did understand that OJ did get away with murder. You get a sense of resolution between Marsha and Darden. And you really understand that Rob doubts that his friend is innocent anymore. Um, Bob Shapiro is kind of off doing his own thing now. He realizes kind of how badly he fucked up. And OJ is just left hanging high and dry. This this show did a really good job of wrapping up something that has been wrapped up for the past 20 years. And doing it in a new way to let audiences know that this is what happened to the real people behind this case. Well, I was going to say that I think that's probably what my gloves up moment is for this entire series was how so many people have been naysayers and they're like, why would you drag this up again? Like, why are you continuing to sensationalize something? Like, by the end of this show, when they had both Nicole and Ron's pictures up on the screen, I was devastated. I was like, what a terrible tragedy. What a way for us in America to treat people. I think that my gloves up moment for this entire series would be how they handled Ron and Nicole. Because, like, we we presented all those alternative theories early on in this series about how it could have been, like, drug-related and how they could have been having an affair together. But, like, this show did not paint them in any negative light. In fact, no. it kind of highlighted that this was a tragedy. And those two pictures being held up at the end of the episode kind of felt like this entire series was like an in memoriam to them it really i have to agree with you and i have to say that i'm honestly just now realizing that like yeah i think you know we had our fun moments with like Faye writing her book or what you and i had learned through research but no these were two innocent people whose lives were taken mm -hmm. so props to you the people versus oj simpson you did right kudos gloves up what would your gloves down moment be though for the, for the episode and the entire series. For this episode. Where is Kato Kalen? 
Okay. I have no gloves down for this episode. I thought it was flawless. I think I agree. Like this. I think I agree. I it was a really it. great finale. My gloves down for the entire series. This is controversial. I don't know that I loved Cuba Gooding Jr. You know, when he was vulnerable, he really hit it. But I feel like, I think this is my gloves down, was that there wasn't enough OJ. Being OJ. We didn't really get alone time with him. And I guess that's their way of saying we have no real idea what could have been going on in his head. Because this is a potentially um, disturbed man. And anything that he would have written about this probably is not reliable. So I think the reason we didn't have... (laughs) Don't get me started. (laughs) The reason we didn't have good moments with Cuba was that there weren't really that many good moments with OJ. And again, I think it's an angle. Like, we were just saying about how this was more a story painting this as a tragedy. I think the angle here is the show is called The People vs. OJ Simpson. We already know who OJ Simpson is, who are the people, and why are they against him. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this was just a way of highlighting what good this case brought out in people, like how strong Marsha Clark was with her argument and how people kind of just let their emotions decide for them. I would have to agree there. All right, everybody. So thank you so much for listening along with us during American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson. We here at What the Dog Saw have really enjoyed the experience, and we've really learned a lot, both about the case and ourselves in turn. Ourselves. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is like, this is a total whim. I think we kind of just tossed this idea out to each other, and now here we are, months later, a trip to L.A. later... (laughs) knowing way too much about the oj simpson case but i don't know it's a fun pet project for for me at least no definitely it was fun it was great it was really it was a really good exploration of this case and i'm really glad that we got to do all this additional research on it and it was just it was just so intriguing to me and it it always will be like this is something that lives in infamy for for as long as we live be sure to check us out on soundcloud where we have all the links that we have used throughout the episode including any articles that have been out there any books that we read i highly highly once again last call i recommend reading if i did it it's on the list all those mashable buzzfeed whatever lists saying what books you should read after the show read it because it is absolutely ridiculous how the man himself sums his entire experience Once again, this has been What the Dogs Saw. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm Neil McNeil. I'm Lorena Mora. And that is What the Dogs Saw.